Hello and welcome to the She Can Share podcast, where I am going to help you arise and shine as the woman of influence that God is calling you to be, where you are going to learn how to share your God-given gifts, talents, and abilities with the world through content creation and by just being who you are. You are meant to let go of shame, guilt, condemnation, and fear, and arise and shine and be the light of the world. So whether you're here to grow your influence, grow your business, or just learn some content creation tips to express Christ in you, I want you to know that I'm here for it. So let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to the She Can Share podcast. My name is Melissa Hughes, and I am so excited. You all are are in for a treat today. I have an incredible special guest, Rachel Wartman, today joining me on the podcast, and she's just incredible. I've known Rachel now for about mm, 10 months. Maybe, no, it was a year. It was a year that we met at Brooke Thomas's Live Out Loud event back in September. And um, I loved Rachel from the moment that I met her. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about who she is because she's going to blow you away. Rachel is an author, a licensed pastor, and a co-owner of a real estate empire. Rachel and her husband, Grant, managed three real estate companies under the Wartman Inc. brand, including Chamberlain Reality. The real estate brokerage is the second largest in Oklahoma City. She's a podcaster, prophetic voice, passionate strategist, and bold leader. Her specialty is cultivating teams, environments, and atmospheres where people can grow, thrive, and exceed their goals through Jesus Christ. Rachel has written three books. Her most recent is The Expansion Mandate, which reveals the four battles all believers must win on their journey to fulfilling God's promise in their lives. And Rachel and Grant have four kids, 15 12, 11, and 6 are their ages. Rachel, wow. Welcome to the show. (laughs) I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I just think you're so awesome. I remember when I met you, there's something about you that is immediately trustworthy. Um, You just are such a natural leader, someone that's so trusted and also such a powerhouse. I know in the prophetic and in business. So it's such an honor to have you on the show today. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. So Rachel, I just would love to dive in first to your story because I know that you have a background in ministry and obviously now you're doing incredible things in business, but can you just kind of share um, how you got started in ministry and then transitioned into what you're doing now. Yeah. I was a teenager when I knew all I want to do with my life is serve Jesus. I equated that to pastoral ministry because that's what I thought at the time that was my context. So I went to a Baptist college in Waco, Texas, and um, had planned on going to seminary and doing the whole thing. My dad paid for my college and hated Jesus. And so I was not allowed to be a religion major. And that was like, you know, one of the only things he ever forbid me doing. And I was like, but that's what I want to do with my life. And he said, well, you have to go to seminary. So I ended up getting married in college and which was a surprise to me and um, decided seminary wasn't formal seminary wasn't the right path. So I got involved in a church that did church planting all over the world. Um, So we did so much traveling through the Middle East, doing church planting and missions and um, 
just fell in love with that. And I thought, this is it. This is what I'm going to give my life to. This is the call that God's given us. So as we were praying about where, you know, here I am, Lord, send me. Uh, he said, how about Norman, Oklahoma? And I thought, that does not... That's not what I was saying, God. I was thinking Fiji or Asia or, you know, something exotic. And he's like, no, Norman, Norman's right. Norman's good. And Norman, Oklahoma is this suburb. Everybody's white. Like, it's just, it was not at all what I thought I was doing with my life. And um, we moved there with a group and we were the youth pastors of that church plant. We stayed there for almost five years. And then we got involved with a ministry called Global Awakening that does um, a lot of power, Holy Spirit power kind of stuff. And we were forever changed, just marked. We saw this incredible healing in a dear friend of mine. And that was it. That was like, okay, we got to figure out what else, you know, is what's more. And through that, we ended up planting a church in Oklahoma City. So in the midst of this, my husband had had some bivocational seasons. Like he was a home inspector and but the goal was always to get back to a point where we were full-time supported by a church that for whatever reason just seemed like the goal. And I will never forget, we were a year into our church plant. We were living in Oklahoma City at this point. My husband and I were senior pastors of this um, this church. And the Lord spoke to him and said, what if I never wanted to pay you from the church? And I thought, well, that cannot be the Lord. God, don't you know how this works? You know, somebody, like people tithe and they support you and we live this nice little meager life and that's what we do. And God put this conviction in him so deeply. And this is what the Lord said. He said, I want you to come up with a business that I can bless so that you, oh, sorry, my phone's going off. Um, He said, I want you to come up with a business that I can bless so that you can use the money that would have gone to support your salary to advance the kingdom. And I will be honest with you. I wrestled significantly. Sorry, my uh, oldest child is texting me. <laughs> you gotta be a mom. I, I know. I know. It's like, I thought I had all my filters on, but he gets through it, I guess. So, uh, okay. So let's go back. So he, so the Lord was saying, you know, uh, give me a biz. I want you to give me a business that I can bless. And then we'll give that money to advance the kingdom. And I wrestled with it. I really wish that I just immediately said, Oh, great. I trust you, Lord. But it was a whole paradigm of my identity as a, as a believer and as a passionate, fiery believer that was crumbling down. And so he got his real estate license, uh, and it exploded. And what I mean by that is it exploded. So we went from making, paycheck to paycheck with $0 in the bank to by the end of his first year, we had made more than we'd made at any point in our life. And it was favor. And I say that because, you know, some people have um, knacks for different types of businesses, but when the Lord combines that and his word, it's, it's shocking. So after the second year, we had made six figures and we were going, we're, we're church planting pastors. This is weird. You know, what is going on? And then we opened a real estate brokerage and within five years, we're six years in now, and we've sold over $2 billion of real estate in the last six years, which we're in a market where the average home price is under $300,000, which means we've sold around 9,000 property transactions. And this is me going, Lord, I'm hoping to make a $50,000 salary to cover my four children And now we're like, what the heck has happened to our life? And let me tell you what has happened to our life. The Lord had said to us um, years ago, he said, there are people like you guys and others 
that are on the front lines sharing the gospel and doing the work of the kingdom. And he said, I do have laborers for this harvest. And what he said to us was, I don't have enough people who are willing to go the route of building wealth to fund the laborers. So all of my altar moments of going, here I am, send me, Lord, I'll go to Afghanistan, I'll go wherever. And he's like, I want you to go into the business world and make a ton of money to do what I want to do on the earth. And um, so that's how we ended up. That's the story, how we ended up here. So that's what we do. All of our businesses are designed to funnel money into the kingdom and, and help global evangelism and human trafficking and justice issues. And it is the coolest thing I've ever done with my life. It's the most shocking. It's the most offensive <laughs> to myself. Even I'm offended by my own story sometimes. Um But at the same time, I'm sitting back and I'm going, if this earth is the Lord's and everything in it, then he positions us where we need to go. And he gives us this expansion call, no matter what it looks like, you know, and and all it is, is coming back to this place of devotion with him and letting him do what he wants. And yeah, so that's my story. That's how I ended up where we are. So a couple of years ago, we stepped down from pastoring and went full-time into doing ministry in the business realm. And the opportunities that I have to prophesy over people is so and it's because of the business that we've built. That's the door that God has opened. And it's wild. It's truly wild. Wow. That is amazing. Okay. There's um, like 10 things I want to go into on that. <laughs> the first though, Rachel, um, which I, I experienced myself, but I want you to dig into it a little bit is like you said, you struggled going from this ministry background into business. And because it was like an identity paradigm shift. Can you like go a little deeper on that? Yes. I had this, I wanted to be seen, you know, when you, you don't realize this is what you feel until you're in the struggle and you're trying to figure out why this is so hard for me. So you're peeling back the layers and I wanted to be seen in a specific way by other believers that was, um, you know, I'm a very devoted person. I'm a very disciplined person in my secret place with the Lord. And I think to me, I I needed like a church pastoral title to explain myself. Yes. And, and I think that's what I, I, you know, I wanted people to go, oh, that's why she's so emphatic about this or whatever. Oh, cause she's a pastor. And the Lord just continued to bring me back to this place of you're like that because you're my daughter. And actually all of us are supposed to carry this fire inside of us. And it, we don't need to explain it away by the fact that we're vocational. So I, I think for me, that was a lot of it. It was also um, what we were doing was so audacious, if that makes sense. It was, it's so in your face, like in our area, it's, you know, everywhere you drive, there's signs of our business everywhere, uh, properties that are being sold. And I think I was nervous to be seen by that many people uh, and, and wondering, you know, what they would think about it. And now I'm like, well, let all of them see me, you know, let them hear me talk, let them, because they're going to find something of Jesus. That's that they don't know. And, um, yeah. So I think that was the wrestle for me was breaking out of how I found my acceptance and my significance and the the tenets of my identity and just going at the end of the day, what are the the key points of our identity? They are who we are as a daughter, as a son, who we are as a devoted follower. And then what we do with the work of our hands is is kind of up to him. Yeah, that's so good, Rachel. And I it's interesting too, like hearing you talk about um 
you know, your business exploded and your influence exploded. And like this kind of like, you're like offended with yourself, (laughs) you know? Um, What are your thoughts on like that scripture that says, you know, don't hide your light and put it on a stand. And like, why are Christians so, why are we so uncomfortable? You know, a lot of the, like our audience in this community, I'm like, put yourself out there and it's scary and it's uncomfortable and it's hard. And like, why is it, why do you think it's so hard? (laughs) That's such a good question. I think at the core of all of us is this fear of what people are going to think about us and Mm -hmm. the reputation component, because there's only so many times you can press the reputation and, and not exhaust it, you know, like, and I think I felt like I was in charge of rationing the moments that I would do something offensive in people's life. But I used to joke with my friends. I felt there was a period of time where I felt like God, you know, he says, we're all a part of his body. And I would tell the Lord, I feel like you made me your middle finger. It's like, I, (laughs) I have this function, but also I have this like part of me that's just offensive to people just by breathing, you know? And I'm like, all I want to do is be loving and peaceful and, you know, and advance the kingdom gently. And he's like, yeah, but what if it's the sword in your hand that wow. is what advances the kingdom? And I think for me, it was a matter of believing in those moments in between when there's there's something visible, when we use our influence and there's something tangible that happens from it. It's like this mountaintop. And then we sink into this valley where all the critters of our mind start coming over us. And we're like, well, who I'll tell you that this happened to me last week while we were in Greece. And we had this opportunity to speak into this person that I had in my mind, no business speaking into this person's life. And the Lord gave me this very clear word and I said it and I I felt really bad about it while I was saying it, but I knew it was the word of the Lord. And I'm doing all that, you know, and then the next morning when I woke up, I just had this like feeling on my heart. Like, who am I to say this? I don't have, you Mm. know what I mean? Like I don't in, and I was talking to one of my mentors who was on the trip, who just said, the reason why you feel that way is because you don't believe you're qualified. And if you will just accept that God has qualified you, those voices won't have a door into your heart. So I think it's that we have these moments where we go, yes, it's Jesus and he's shining through us. And then we do it. And then something happens the next day. And we're like, what was I thinking? 200 people saw that, or, you know, a thousand people saw that, or I went through this six month stint on Instagram where all of my videos were at 15 to 22,000 views every day. And I was like, what is happening? (laughs) You know? So I think it's that. And then we go, well, that's too much. That's too much. And I'm at this point now in my life where I'm like, nothing is too much because the need in the world is so great that if I will just allow the pure light of God to keep coming through me, I will never touch the need. It will like, I'll never even put a dent in it. That's how great the need is. And so if we all, even just, you know, the six of us here right now really allowed our light to shine as pure and as, you know, full force as we could, we still would barely touch the need. So for the world to really see, it will require all the believers having the guts to to trust him and to allow allow him to display himself through our lives. Wow. It's so true, Rachel. It's so true. I mean, everything right now, even that's going on with Israel, I just, I was so um just so heartbroken the other night thinking about it. And I just was praying and I just felt this like almost like holy boldness just start to like come in my belly. 
And I felt like God's like, this is why we need people to rise up, to speak out and to step out. And it's not, it's this thing. It's like, it's not about us. And it, and we make it about ourselves. Like these small things, like showing up on video or stepping out and starting a business. And, and it was like, it feels like, um, yeah, we make it about us when it's like, no, it's because there are people that we can be a help. We can be a resource. We need Christ in us to explode, like how he's exploded in your life, to be able to fund things, to be able to encourage people, to speak to people. And so it's really this whole thing of like getting over ourselves so that Christ can be seen in our lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the things that I think you're really good at as well is helping people identify their purpose. And I, I know that, you know, you're so you're about purpose, you know, you don't chase um, influence or wealth, although those are byproducts of purpose. Can you speak to that? So like somebody right now that's listening, that's like, good for you, Rachel. That's awesome. You know, that you had an idea and you stepped out, but maybe someone that's feeling like, well, I've been trying to find my purpose and I've been doing this stuff. Like I read my Bible and I pray and I'm not making a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> How, what, what would you say? I wish I was making a billion dollars. I wish that's what those numbers uh, <laughs> meant. Um, because I think we could end a lot of problems like tomorrow, but, um, but yeah, I, I think for me, it's, it is a, that's such a good question. Okay. The way that I look at provision, let's start there is to me, provision is the resource for the vision that God has given you. And the way that God's provision always works is he gives you what you need and then a little bit more for the people around you. So I am a firm believer that our provision and the the, the wealth component that we should aim for needs to be proportionate to the call that's on our life. Um, because, you know, it would be amazing for all of us to believe. And I do think it's possible that we all could like, everybody can be a millionaire kind of thing. But the truth is that I just don't think the Lord looks at it like that. He doesn't money to him means nothing. So it's not a status symbol. It's, it's a resource to solve a problem. And so if you're a teacher and you're called to be a teacher, what does the abundant provision of God look like on a teacher's salary and then some, right? Or if you are a missionary and you're called to be a missionary, what does the abundant provision look like? To me, biblically, it looks like also being able to fund the passion projects that are on your heart. You know, will you fund them with like Ritz Carlton money? I don't know, but what could you fund them to make them happen? 100%. Because I think that's what's in the Bible. Paul says, oh, the church gathered around behind me and they gave me money and I went and I did this thing. And then he's like, but I also felt in Philippi, he needed to stay a little bit longer. So he got a job and he funded his own additional part. And so I think when we get out of the mentality that the money is some sort of status symbol or it's an approval thing of God, then it helps us be able to be more focused on what's the vision that's before us. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can tell you, you know, my husband started getting prophetic words about abundant wealth when he was like 15 years old. So, you know, you think, and then for me, I have similar things. So I I wish I could say, oh, the money is irrelevant, but it is a part of the calling that we have, which is different than, you know, not, it's just different the calling that you have in this moment right now. Um, I hope that makes sense. I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't, like that we should level down our dreams. I just think if we talk specifically about the purpose and detach it from what we might be able to fund with it, it gives more clarity for that. 
And then the other side of it is getting clear on who you're called to be, number one. And number two, the assignment that God has given you that utilizes that calling. So to me, calling is a lifelong thing. And then we go through these seasons of assignments. So I had a season where my assignment was in the inner city of Waco, Texas, and I lived among drug deals for two years. And I, um, you know, my first son was born into a neighborhood where the SWAT team was there on a weekly basis. And that was, I loved that. Like, there's nothing in me that looks back at that and says, oh, if I'd only had more money. Like, no, that was the calling that we were doing. We were ministering to prostitutes and inner city kids, and we were rescuing people. And then there was a season when he moved us to Norman, where all the people around me I was ministering to are eight and nine figure people. (laughs) which was a little jarring going from the inner city to somebody who had built, you know, the second largest brick company in America. It's like, Oh, okay. Wow. This is, this is new. And so when we, when we detach from all of the money side of it and we just go to assignment, then it becomes, okay. For all of you guys that are, I hope you're clear on your assignment right now. I think you can be clear on your assignment and not quite clear on your calling. Does that make sense? But the calling begins to unfold when we begin to say, okay, who did you make me to be? It factors in our identity as a daughter, which we all share common identity as a daughter. Then it factors in our giftings and whether we're prophetic or we're teacher or we're an evangelist or we're, you know, apostolic or whatever that might be. And then it factors in whether we're mercy hearted or not, whether we're compassion based or not. And all of that becomes our calling. So for me, I can sum it down into three three things. I am called to um, encourage the body of Christ. And I do that through the prophetic, but I also do that through a smile and a a wink from time to time. You know, it doesn't have to be this grand thing. I'm called to encourage the body of Christ. My life is called to inspire the body of Christ. That's, that's, That's part of my calling that where I go, I'm looking to cause a spark to rise up in you guys to believe bigger, to think differently, to go to deeper places and get rid of all the stuff that the enemy wants to weigh you down with. And then the third one is for me, I'm called to affect transformation. So I don't want to just say nice words. I want the words that I speak to cause a snowball that becomes an avalanche that draws you into a whole new place in your life with Jesus. So that's my calling. But how that plays out in season to season looks completely different. So does that make sense? That's a huge answer to a a really complicated question. But No, it makes so much sense. I think that's so good because I think when we think about like, what's my calling? It's like, well, what's your assignment right now? Because if God were to be like, hey, this is what you're going to do, this and this and this, like, I mean, and you, you would attest to this, you would have never thought like 10 years ago that you'd be doing this. If God were to have said, hey, Rachel you'd be like, no, that's, no, you got the wrong girl. That's not me. But the assignment and how good God is, I, I was reading the other day, he was like, I give you daily bread, you know? And it's like, it's daily and it's it's provision for today. It's assignment for today. So I love that. It makes so much sense. I think that's so clear. Focus on your assignment. And um, I think Ruth says, if it's his will, God will pay the bill. <laughs> yes. I was talking to, so I, um, one of my best friends works for Christ for All Nations, which is Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. That's actually the sign right here. It's one of their crusades um, 
for their decade of double harvest. But uh, we were talking and they, he was telling me this story of, of this farmer who their father had pledged. I think it was like he wanted to give a million dollars to Bonky's ministry. And then he passed away before he was able to do that. And the kids all got together and they decided, could we make this happen with our inheritance? And they had received this farm and all this stuff. And so they did. They actually took out a loan to finish all the money because they wanted to fulfill their father's like, like decree. Wow. And the next year, their harvest started blossoming and they were able to double back what they had just given. They were able to pay off all the loans. They were able to reset up the farm in all these new ways. And we were talking about exactly that, that when the Lord wants to do something and he wants to do it now, money is never the issue. The money will just appear because he has no attachment to the finances. It's just, it's gar- it's paper to him, you know? So when he knows, oh, I want to do this, I will fund it. But here's where it gets interesting. So I've been a missionary on support before. And hearing that, I would be like, oh, well, okay, that is not my reality. That is not, you know, that's not the world I'm living in. The money is not just showering down like a Chuck E. Cheese arcade, you (laughs) know, I'm trying to catch it. But what I know now is that sometimes it's our alignment with his word that's causing the, the clog. And sometimes it's what he's doing in our heart. And so we look at what Jesus says, um, where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And so even though money to the Lord is nothing, it is the avenue that he uses to help our heart. So he uses it as a gauge for us to tell whether we're trusting too much in the world versus him. You know, there's a lot in there that we can't just say money is irrelevant. It is absolutely um, the litmus test of our faith. And it is the place that we begin to learn faith when we tithe and we do these things that are like beyond us, we give, you know, so yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm, I'm touching on some things that are my, might be like pressing some buttons. So I hope this is making sense. No, again, it's, it's, I can't help it. It's so good. I feel like I'm just like, look, Rachel, can you just teach (laughs) and just like, just start teaching. (laughs) Um, no, that's, that's so good. What would you say to, um, as far as like operating in faith. And one of the things that you said that you help people do is believe bigger. So, you know, like for somebody right now that is listening to this, that's like, that's like, man, this is not my reality. Um, I'm not experiencing, you know, I'm not experiencing favor. I'm not experiencing the blessing that I'm seeing with other people. I don't feel like things are working out. In fact, I feel like I'm just hitting a brick wall. What would you say? Like, in that season. So let me tell you a story from my personal life. Um, 11 years ago, I had, um, I was spending time with the Lord and I was in that season. I was in my quote dream job. We were youth pastors and I was miserable. And I wish that I could say fulfilling the call is this delightful thing. It was awful. I, I absolutely was miserable. And um, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I had just had my third kid. I just, life was really challenging. And the Lord spoke to me to start reading Psalm 18. And I started reading it one day. And it's the story of death. David says that the cords of death have come upon me. And it goes on to say that he was crying out in his distress to the Lord. And the words of his prayers entered the very ears of God. And God ripped the heavens. He bent the clouds down low and he hid himself on the clouds. This is such a crazy story. And he went and he rescued David out of this despair. And then there's this a line about halfway through the chapter that says, 
David says, he delivered me because he delighted in me and he's put me into broad places. And so I read this chapter and I thought, what the heck? I was pregnant with my fourth kid at the time. And I was like, what, what is this scripture? This is so weird. And God spoke to me and said, this is your word. He said, don't read anything else in the Bible except this until I tell you otherwise. And I'm like, okay. So two months later, I'm reading this story. I, I, have it, I know the story by heart because I would read it every day. And I was so confused until it got to October. And I found out that that baby that we were carrying, I was 20 weeks along, had passed away. And I had an open vision that morning where God had shown me what was going to happen when I went in for our ultrasound that the baby had died. And I was like, I rebuke that in the name of Jesus. That cannot be the Lord. And I went in and everything happened exactly how the Lord had shown me. And in the middle of that pregnancy, in the midst, like God had already told me to read Psalm 18. I found a tumor on my thyroid. My doctor saw this tumor and she said, I think you have cancer. You're too young for all of these different things. We're going to try to figure this out, but also you're pregnant. So this is a really complicated situation. And so I, I realized about three weeks in that I was not just reading this Psalm, but I was actually beginning to live this Psalm and the cords of death had come over my body and, and in as graphic and sorry for this, but had come into my body with the baby I was carrying having died. And I remember one day I was reading this again because God had not let me out of it. And I threw my Bible against the ground and I just said, God, I don't know what's going to happen because I don't think you delight in me. Like you, like I know you delight in people, but I'm sitting here with my own life on the line. I'm asking you to heal this tumor in me. I'm asking for a breakthrough and you're not coming through. And in that moment, I just had this, I, I, I actually said to the Lord, you say it was better for you to go that, you know, to have the Holy Spirit, it was better for you to go. But if you were here, Jesus, you could just touch me and I would be healed. And I was, I was so broken. And so fast forward a few months, we had to deliver that baby. It was, it was incredibly tragic and sad situation, but the Lord met me in it. And I just kept coming back to this thought, do I believe that you really delight in me? Not do I believe that you delight in people? Cause of course the answer is yes. I listen, I want you guys to know I was uh I was a pastor at this point in time. I was a prophetic voice in my church. I was what most people wanted to have in their life. And in my soul, I'm looking at the Lord and saying, What gives? What's wrong with me that you don't love me like this? And a couple months later, I had surgery on my thyroid. I had it taken out and I ended up with well, oh, I, I skipped ahead. Let me go back. So a couple months later, I'm deciding whether I'm gonna have this surgery. Uh, Cause they told me I needed to take this tumor out. And I'm saying, God, why won't you heal me? I'm having everybody lay hands on me. We're fasting. We're doing everything. Nothing is, nothing is happening. And I was sitting in my driveway and I said, God, why won't you heal me? Like your word says, you know, it, this is supposed to be effortless. Why won't you heal me? And this is what the Lord said to me. It's going to make me cry. Just thinking about this. He said, the thing that's coming against you is too big for you right now. You don't have the revelation to fight it and win. I was livid. I was livid. God, why are you withholding this revelation from me? Like, give it to me. I'm your daughter, right? And I said, okay, how do I get this revelation? Give me the revelation. And he said, you're going to get it by doing this surgery. And let me tell you, when he said that, I just knew in my spirit something really bad was going to happen. I don't know. I just knew. Like, this just felt very ominous. So a few weeks later, I, it was in January of 2013, 
um, I went and I had this surgery and, um, and everything was fine. I came out of it just fine. And I'm like, well, okay, that was weird. I, I thought I was, I'm being honest with you guys. I thought I was going to die in this surgery. I said all my goodbyes to my kids. I was like, I don't know what's going on, but something really intense. And I came out of the surgery. I'm like, oh, look at that. I'm still alive. And everything supposedly went fine. And a week later, I discovered that I was not fine. I had had a developed a really rare infection and I was about 12 hours from being septic when my doctor had essentially a word of knowledge without being a believer and called me up and said, get your butt in the car and get here. Something's wrong. We need to figure this out. And so I went through a second surgery. I was hospitalized for several, for a whole week while they were trying to get to the bottom of what it was. And they were trying to keep me alive. So I'm sitting in this hospital room and I'm like reading the cords of death have come upon me. And in my distress, I cried out to the Lord and my words came into his very ears and he bent the clouds down low and he came to my rescue and he delivered me because he delights in me. And I'm sitting there in this hospital room and I'm like, I get it. I get it. He delights in me, not in us, which he does, right? But like in me, he delights in me so much that he moved in a word of knowledge to a pagan doctor who has nothing to do with Jesus because he delights in me. He went and he did all of these things. Cause, and I came out of that surgery and it was rough. You guys, this was a long, this was a big period of my life that was sucked up in this whole thing. And I came out of that with my held head held high saying, you cannot convince me that God is not on my side. You cannot convince me. So when I talk to people and I'm saying, you have to believe bigger most of it comes down to that anchor point in our heart, right? Where we're going, okay, but when I'm on the line, when my life is on the line, do I believe that you love me that much? When my health is on the line, when my children's care is on the line, when my pocket, you know, whatever the case would be for you, in that place, if you're not able to say, God has got me, and I mean that you mean it, not just that we declare it, but that we mean it, right? And I know you know what I'm talking about, Melissa, through everything you went through in England. When you're standing there and you're going, I can't explain this, but I know he's with me right here, that's when you begin to know you can believe bigger. And so everything before that is a battle to get to that place of owning your place as a son or daughter of God and as a firstborn heir to the Lord, so that he treats you like he treats Jesus, and you expect that. Not that we ask for it, but we walk in it. So I wake up every day of my life now, and maybe this is too bold of me to say, but I expect the Lord to be my dad. I expect him to come through and defend me when stuff happens. We had a, an issue happen last week. It was an $11,000 mistake that we have to pay out of our own pocket. And I have a moment where I can go, Where do, why didn't you protect me? But I'm like, no, you're going to fix it. You're going to fix it. There's zero doubt in my mind that if I have to pay it, you're going to replenish the money. So when we're talking about believing bigger, we're talking about getting to the nittiest, grittiest place of our soul and working it out through friction, through iron, through, through faith, so that we can move forward from that. Does that make sense? <laughs> finish all of that with does that make sense oh my word rachel i mean yes i resonate so much i'm sitting here crying so much with your story and what i love is how um 
you know, God will take us to the end of ourselves sometimes in order to reveal, literally in order to reveal himself. I was reading last night with my daughter and her, oftentimes God speaks to me in like her children's Bible, (laughs) but it was like the story of the blind man. And, you know, the disciples were like, well, why, you know, was it, did he sin? Was it his family? And Jesus said it was so that the glory of God could be revealed in this situation. And we, you know, we don't understand things, but like nobody could ever take that away from you, Rachel, and to have that revelation. And it's so simple. He delights in me, yeah. you know, and that changes everything. And it's like, you know, that God loves you on your best days and your worst days, and he's got you back. And when you can come to that point, I mean, you can literally go through hell and back and you're like, he's got me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's, and that kind of, um, I mean, I totally wanted to get into asking you about how you've been showing up on social media and everything. Cause yeah, you, I mean, that's just been mental and crazy, but, um, maybe I can ask you that at the end. Cause I feel like you're really kind of getting into the book that you just wrote uh-huh. and released. Um, can you share with us that book? Because I, I feel like some of what you shared just now is a battle. Um, anyway, go ahead and share a little bit before I steal. No, you're great. Yeah. I just finished my third book. The first book I ever wrote is called you'll get out of it when you learn to love it. And it is the story I just told you guys. It is the, the specific, um, spiritual activations that I did to bring myself to a place of healing that people had helped me do. So if you're interested in that, that one's available on Amazon also, but I have a new one that's coming out uh, on the 24th of October. It's called the expansion mandate. And it talks about the four battles every believer must win to fulfill our promise from the Lord. And these are the battles. The first one is the battle for the promise. And this is what we've been talking about. It is the battle to actually believe that God wants to bless you, expand you, enlarge your, enlarge your territory, all of that. And make no mistake, it is a battle. This is not a, we don't just decide, oh, I got this. You know, we fight to believe that the Lord has called us to, to greater things. So the battle for the promise is the first one. And uh, most people, this is where they, they don't even make it past that because they don't have the guts to engage with the Lord to come out of it, knowing that we are a blessed people. We are a royal nation, a chosen priesthood. We are called, anointed, gifted, chosen. And we know we're out of that first battle when we can say that with conviction and we actually mean it. We're not just declaring it, but we actually believe it. The second battle is the battle to the promise. And this is the place of process that you and I are so familiar with, where we are transformed into becoming a promise carrier. And we're transformed into becoming the kind of person who can actually live the promise that God has given to us. So the battle for the promise, the battle to the promise. And then we have the battle at the promise. And this is that moment when Israel is crossing over the Jordan River and everything is coming against her. And it's a very spiritual battle because as soon as you put your feet into that promise space in the spirit realm, everything begins to change. You have access to so many other things. And so that third battle is that moment where you're so close, but you're not quite there. And it just feels like all of hell is coming against you to get there. And then the fourth and final battle is the battle in the promise. And this is the place where we begin to occupy that space that God has called us into. And, uh, you know, our provision changes, our rhythm of our daily life changes. 
and it is um it is unique in its own own capacity. So I wrote this book because I was going to write a book on prayer and I've been planning all year Melissa knows I talked to her about it so I've been planning all year to write a book this fall and I thought I'm going to write on prayer and I had I had all these great thoughts about it and I'm you know have all these notes and I was in the grocery store and the Lord said to me uh, you know that book on prayer we were going to write it's not it. I'm like what do you mean that's not it? And he says yeah, that's not it. I want you to write this. And he said, our book is going to be called The Expansion Mandate. It's these four battles. And he told me everything I just said to you. And I'm in the produce aisle of Walmart, frantically on my phone, trying to take notes of this thing that God is downloading to me. And I ended up writing this book in 10 days, which is madness. But the truth is when God is speaking something and, I, and we're just listening and writing it down, and it turns out to be pretty good because it's him saying <laughs> So I'm really excited about getting this book out. I think Melissa has a code as Melissa15. If you guys want to buy it, you can get 15% off of it um, so that you can read it. But I am convinced that no matter where you are in the process of fulfilling your calling, this book will speak to you and it will help you identify the points that we delay. And we, and we like when it's a slowdown on our end, obviously sometimes God slows us down, but the stuff on our end that we can avoid. So I do think that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about that first battle, which is coming to the place of actually believing that we are God's child and he treats us well and he expects to display his abundant nature through our lives, whether that's with joy, peace, patience, kindness, money, no matter what it is, he gives it to us in abundance. So good. OMG. I mean, Rachel brought the fire. I think I think I'm still back where you were where you said um we're all the body of Christ and I feel like God's made me the middle finger. <laughs> just I just love it because because <laughs> because we are called to be offensive. And sometimes that offensive, you know, looks like blessing. And it yeah. looks like provision and it looks like um, influence and favor and, you know, <laughs> and it looks like speaking truth. And I love, Rachel, how like you are truly somebody that lives their life with so much passion and guts. And I love being around people like you and and you um, guys, everybody just needs to go follow Rachel. Um, please, like even if you're listening right now. Go follow her social media accounts. She delivers so much fire in her content every day. She's someone that's a mom who's trustworthy. She has such a genuine passion to see the body of Christ mature and rise up and enjoy who God is and personally, professionally, in business, in ministry. I mean, I'm a fan. (laughs) I'm a big, big big fan. So... um, (laughs) Yeah, just I I I just feel Rachel that you've you've brought so much. Um there's so much more in you and so I really do want to encourage people. This is not just a podcast. I feel like you're God's connecting people. And so if you feel to reach out to Rachel, please do. Um I'll put all of everything, her book, her podcast, um cuz she has a podcast in case you didn't know. <laughs> she has a podcast. Is it The Kingdom? Hold on. Yes, it's the Kingdom Purpose Coaching Show. I will be honest with you. I'm feeling the Lord calling me to do something different with that. But there's episodes on there that you will love. Um, but there, but follow me because there might be some new things coming down the pipe. 
So there's definitely going to be some new things coming down the pipe because she listens to God so closely, but go and follow her and, and get in her circle and her sphere. You'll be so blessed. So Rachel, I just thank you so much. You're such a, a blessing to this group and this community and uh, just appreciate you being on this show.